I'm Gabby. I'm Nolan. I'm Genesis. And I'm Justin. And this, and this is Comics First. This podcast will include several spoilers for the 100 issues of New Mutants that we will be discussing. So if you would like to read them, please read them first and then listen to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Comics First Podcast. I'm your host, Comics First CEO, Justin Alba. And as always, I'm joined by a panel of Comics First friends, employees, and interns. Before we introduce everybody, I just want to get into the subject of today's podcast, which is New Mutants Volume 1. Came out in the 80s, 100 issues, a bunch of crossovers, written mostly by Chris Claremont, Louis Simonson, later Rob Liefeld. But it was also co-created with Bob McCloud, who we interviewed many times at various comic conventions, so. Uh, definitely be sure to check that out. You want to YouTube Comics First and Bob McCloud. Just a reminder, you can find us on the web at comicsfirst.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicsfirst, on Twitter at, at comicsfirst, on Tumblr at comicsfirst.tumblr.com, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash comicsfirsttv. So definitely check out our videos. We're going to be revamping our YouTube page really soon, so I'm really, really excited about that. This is kind of like an all-star cast. We have some rather veteran Comics First faces, and we have some, some new ones. So Gabby, Comics First podcaster, actor extraordinaire and medical doctor and medical doctor as well as <laughs> as well as one of comics versus breakout stars if i do say so myself okay <laughs> how are you i'm doing great justin how are you yep are you excited to discuss some new mutants Woo! Right, that's what i love to hear and nolan is joining us columbia university phd student in uh chinese history yes and the ancient ming dynasty second half you could say ancient Oh, just the Chinese Ming Dynasty, whatever. First half of the early modern Ming Dynasty. How does it feel to be back, Nolan? It feels good. It's been a long time since we did a podcast. I missed it. Genesis, new comics first intern, been shooting a ton of stuff, been in some videos that are hello. coming out. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm good. And uh, people might remember you from the Monstrous podcast that will have come out a couple weeks before this. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> How could a podcast that I do be complete without Ms. Jamie Rice? Thank you. I feel the same way. Jamie is a kick-ass editor. How's editing going, Jamie? It's going awesome. The work is great. Be sure to check out the articles that Jamie not only writes, but also edits. We're going to be talking about New Mutants today, and I'm really, really excited about that because it's one of my favorite comics. Like I was saying, it came out in the 80s. I grew up sort of reading it in the 90s, the, the older issues. I remember when issue 100 came out, though, in the 90s, and when Deadpool, and uh, a lot of people don't know that Deadpool first came out of this comic book. They think that he is, um, a lot of people don't even know that he's tied to the X-Men world, but he actually, um, yep, first came out in New Mutants 98, I believe. Cable, his first appearance, New Mutants 87, and probably an annoying story that my Uncle Mike, who's now in his 90s, hates telling is that he used to buy all my comics for me, and as a gift, spent several thousand dollars buying New Mutants 87, and uh, five years ago, I looked up the price, and it was worth like $4. So, yeah. Anyway, sorry for that comic crash in the 90s. But for those of you who don't know about New Mutants, they are an offshoot or, or um, a spinoff of X-Men comics. And Nolan is going to give us a little background about how they got started and all of that. That I am. So most people probably know Cannonball as the the New Mutant who has enjoyed the most inclusion in the X-Men proper. Or maybe Magic. 
a magic Ariana today. Yeah. yeah, Cannonball from the 90s and right. 2000s. Magic today, for right. sure, since she was brought back from the dead, which I know is a very rare thing in <laughs> X-Men. But there are uh, four other original New Mutants and four other New Mutants who joined the team early on in its history, as well as a cast of seven uh, villains who are their sort of like opposites. The other members besides Cannonball are Wolfsbane, uh, whose name is Rain Sinclair. She was Moira McTaggart's adopted daughter who was uh, viewed as a demon by uh, Scottish Protestant fundamentalists during her childhood because she turns into like a wolf form and into like a hybrid wolf form and has the sense powers that you might imagine such a character having. Karma, whose name is Xian Koi Man. Uh, uh, what? I, was just, I like Karma. You like Karma? Okay, we can talk a lot about <laughs> Karma today. Right, yeah. Uh, who is a South Vietnamese, extremely powerful psychic, but who, she's very powerful, but she only has one ability. She can just possess people, and she can possess anybody, no matter how tough they are against Even alligators. Powers. Even like, uh, you know, like super strong psychics, she can possess them. Yes, but, but she can't alligators. do anything else. You seem unimpressed by the alligators, Nolan. I'm, I'm not that, that impressed there. by that. I think that... Um, she, she possessed an alligator and then ate it. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I you think, should have read that issue. I think that Mirage's <laughs> animal powers are better than hers, honestly. <laughs> you think whose? Mirage's animal powers are better than Karma's. Her I mean, animal powers? Well, the way she can communicate with animals. Oh, yes. But she can't anymore because she lost her powers in M-Day. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I don't know how. We're not going to talk about the whole 30-year arc of these No, just the original volume one, one two hundred. Sorry, Nolan. I digress. That's okay. Please continue. The I, uh, Mirage, Woo-hoo! Danny Moonstar has taken on the most powers since her original role, which is not a bad thing, I think, because it's, she's just a character who is a psychic and who can learn to use it in a lot of different ways, you know? And at first, she has no control over them. All she can do is talk to animals and spontaneously cause people to see their own greatest fears. But eventually, she'll have, like, Valkyrie powers and all kinds of crazy stuff. And like uh, Cannonball, she has some dead parents. At least one dead parent. His dad's dead. Oh, his dad, but not his mom, yeah. Yeah. And uh, she is a Cheyenne individual, which is probably the most groundbreaking aspect of her character in the X universe, maybe in comics in general. And the last original member of the New Mutants is Roberto da Costa, codenamed Sunspot, who is the child of a biracial family in Brazil, a very wealthy family who can absorb sunlight to generate super strength and super toughness in an alternate form, and who does not have any dead parents, but whose parents don't get along, and whose girlfriend dies right away. His parents die soon, too. Oh, that's right. Well, his mom. Then his dad dies? Yes. When is that? He actually is now a member of the New Avengers with Cannonball, and he's the leader. He's funding the whole thing. And he became the... Man, uh, the Black King or the White King of the Hellfire? Black King, I think. Yeah, Black King. King. The nicest of all Black Kings. Yes, yes. Second nicest, maybe, Magneto. But he's White King. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not get our, 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 our King colors confused, shall we? Even though I have no idea which they are. Now there are a lot of other New Mutants members, and a lot, and there is a kind of interesting relationship between them and their others, their opposites, the Hellions. Early on in the run, four characters are added to the New Mutants, and they are definitely core New Mutants. There are more characters added later who are not as essential. These characters are Magma, 
whose name is Amara Juliana Ovilians Aquila. She's the heiress to a Roman city-state that has existed deep in the jungles of the Amazon ever since uh, like ancient Roman times. Yes. That is discovered uh, early on in the New Mutants comic. And she has the power to turn into a magma form and to control tectonic movements and like generate fire and fly, which is cool. And um, she is the earliest addition then I believe Magic joins the team, Colossus's younger sister, who can create teleportation discs that she can like throw or just use. And who? Where do they come out of? Her hands. Okay, just checking because I thought she would poop and then like just get up and there's oh look there's a disc. I don't think so. I don't think that they would do that. I think that this they is a comic or- book for children. I know. I'm just saying that that <laughs> there are kids would love that though. there are proper orifices she's not a true. goose she's not a disc goose <laughs> yeah. she's a woman exactly she's a, she's a dignified <laughs> person disc, she uh, makes it she she really yeah no she has a lot of dignity she was trained in the abyss that's true she spent and her limbo. whole life in this demi plane called limbo where demons taught her to use magic you act like no one's ever heard of limbo before well, limbo's a word, but it means a specific thing in X-Men that true, it doesn't necessarily true. mean in other contexts. This is true. And then, uh, last but not least, a pair of characters are introduced in the same arc. Uh, one of them is a dude who has the very modest but enviable mutant power of being able to speak all languages and decipher all things that are language-like, such as math, and his name is Cypher. He's, that's his code name. He's Douglas Ramsey. And he they bring him in to interpret the expressions of a very alien being that is an alien uh, that is a techno-organic being called Warlock who lands on Earth fleeing his society. And like all the other members, he is a teenager in a sense who has a kind of uh, rocky relationship with the previous generation. And in his case, uh, he's the heir to the monarchical position in this alien society and their rite of passage is that to inherit rulership, he has to kill his father. And his father tries to kill him to prevent him from doing that. So he And he doesn't want to be involved in this, so that's why he flees that society. And he's a, he's a gentle being, but incredibly powerful because he can shapeshift, he can spread his techno-organic nature to other things by touch, and he can interface with machines. He's probably one of the most powerful members of the team. Agreed. That was a very awesome summary. Okay, so it, it's interesting because when I wrote notes on uh, when to write the script, uh, I think we're going to go into all this stuff in a second, but some of the themes that came to my mind were guilt, revenge, fear, and overcoming one's own obstacles. I'm going to ask a lot, bunch of questions about that later, but I just wanted to sort of bring that up as you know, something that I was struck with while I was writing the script. I wish that if I was writing a script about more modern comics that I felt themes as strongly as these involved in them. Unfortunately, that's not true, and I don't think that it's because of me. I think probably the writing in some comics has changed to exclude that in an effort to make certain comics more light. That being said, one of the reasons why I love this comic is because it's so diverse. Comics nowadays, Marvel and DC, are making such a huge effort to appeal to a wider wider audience by becoming more diverse. kind of wanted to ask everybody, obviously you guys know Marvel is trying to be more diverse nowadays. We've all seen the covers. Genesis, you've been covering Red Wolf. We know the Avengers team now consists of Falcon, who is Captain America, who is part of the team. Ms. Marvel is on the team. Miles Morales, who is half black and half Puerto Rican. The new Spider-Man is on the the Avengers. When you look at that and and the efforts that Marvel and DC Comics are doing to become more diverse, does the original New Mutants comic stand up to that? And then, you know, if you want to talk about, for example, when Len Wein and Chris Claremont 
and several other people created the second team, or actually we found a third team of X-Men, which consists of Storm, the original Thunderbird, Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler. You guys can talk about that too. So does anyone have anything to add about that? When they have the first issue, it's like so clearly international in a way. Like it's like we're going to look at all of these different small stories around the world of all of these people dealing with like their mutant powers manifesting. And I think that's a nice change because it kind of feels like what's been happening a lot. And it's not necessarily a bad thing nowadays is that people kind of do a one off with this like new character that's different and or diverse. And then it's like, oh, people like it. And they're like, so we'll just like throw it into the team. Whereas like um, with this comic, it was kind of like the main conception behind it was this international we all struggle with these kind of problems concept and I think that was really nice like it was kind of based in when it's one of the things that makes X-Men really great a lot of the time is that it was kind of based in like there's a lot of different kinds of people in this world and we all struggle with similar issues even though they're different issues individually we all have them so I think that it was nice that kind of in a lot in the conception of the book that was kind of the point of it when you looked at all these different spaces around the world and I thought that was very nice very international and very not necessarily like a diversity tribe, but rather like this is what this book is about. Obviously, when you talk about X-Men, the whole metaphor, like the extended metaphor of mutant, being a mutant, being an, a someone who's outside of or ex- ostracized from society. I think that that concept in tandem with the diverseness of the cast shows that, you know, the experience of feeling ostracized is something that has a cultural aspect, but then also can have a more universal aspect. And I think that's kind of cool. I think one thing about that first international team in X-Men is that it's diverse in a very Cold War kind of way. I do think it's significant to mention that, you know, Danny Moonstar, a Native American character in the 1980s, uh, 1982, is made leader of, of a team. Her and Shan, I think, are the biggest... Um, yeah. leaders of the team and, and Shan happens to be Vietnamese. This is kind of going to lead into my second question which is um you know what do you guys think the impact or well actually before we get into that uh, you know I do want to say that I, I think that if you compare the new mutants that came out in 1982 and put it up to really any comic today that it is diverse still. Yeah. It is still probably more diverse than any team coming out today. I appreciate that you noted the period time period it came out and it it is you know cuz I'm covering Red Wolf and seeing um and being new to new to comics as well, there's still like the diversity in comics, or at least in like New Mutants and Red Wolf. It's still kind of superficial. You can still tell that it's not written by the communities itself, or like at least like an artist from the community. And so there's definitely like I appreciate the effort and like the inclusion of these characters that are from Vietnamese, like Shan and Cheyenne, who um who Danny Moonstar is from uh, Cheyenne, Native American. But there's still a lot to be said about how diversity is shown in New Mutants and also how how they tap into uh, tropes of these cultures. Do you think that, there, that there's something to be said, though, about the fact that I think three or four years earlier, I think we talked about this Genesis on a separate occasion, that you know you have Marlon Brando not accepting his Oscar, having a Native, a woman, Native American woman come up and, and tell everyone that you know he cannot accept this because of how Native Americans are treated. Do you think that there's something to be said about the fact that the creators of this comic even tried to get this in people's heads. I think so. I think it does say a lot about the creators and what they, I mean, it's just, it's difficult for me to see artists not reflect or just touch the topic about what's going on in their like social atmosphere or political atmosphere. You know what I mean? Um, That's because in my opinion, that's what artists do. And so I definitely think that, yeah, they were reflecting the times and they definitely were, 
addressing and giving their opinion through these characters in their own way there's a long way to go to like represent minorities i guess you can say in in a way that it's like oh man like they they know exactly what they're doing these people are seem exactly like like my neighbor or like my mother i completely agree with you and i'm torn because i think that for the period this was coming out having someone you know a first nations person who is a main character and whose history and emotional reality is explored in depth is pretty progressive when we talk about like superheroes we talk about like the aspirational sort of values of a culture and so when you have someone who is not of the dominant culture in that position it does really great representational work because it means that like yes this person can be exceptional in this way however obviously like there is a kind of superficiality to how she deals like how her culture is shown in the same way like when we were in the storm podcast and we talked about her africanness like how that was shown but even but it's crazy because even today like i cannot think of any pieces of mainstream culture that i've seen that's dealt fully with like the life and experience of a first nations person and like even i remember i was watching leonardo dicaprio's i think it was a golden globes acceptance speech and he was like say and he was like i want to thank all the first nations people like your story is finally told when this is a movie about a white frontiersman so it's something that we're still dealing with that's the thing that's what's aspirational about it is that instead of having a bunch of people from like other highly developed countries who represent the like main ethnicities of those countries except for maybe Kurt I don't know if he does or not then what you have is someone from America you have America dealing with its own oppression you know someone who has been oppressed in the United States instead of evading that and pretending that diversity just means a global attention rather than and in the other case you have someone from Vietnam where America has recently been perpetrating a atrocities. I absolutely agree. I, I think it's kind of groundbreaking to have a Vietnamese character, especially as the most powerful character in the beginning, the most the one who has a really sad story that deals with her uncle and her twin and, and her uh, younger brother and sister. You know, I think about, you know, if there was if I was seven years old in 1982, imagine being a seven year old kid and, and reading this and saying, hey, there's a Vietnamese character like, oh, weird. Like we just have this whole Vietnam War. There's something to be said about like just having the depiction in general As you were saying there really isn't a strong presence even now. And like Leonardo DiCaprio saying like we're doing it. And it's like you're not doing it. It's like even at some points you're like maybe this isn't like a Sherman Alexi novel, but it's still doing something by putting it there. I definitely see where everyone is coming from, and especially you, Genesis. Um, Genesis, also you having done a Native American video, which is which people should check out online, right? Yes, they should. <laughs> What's it called? So it's Indigenous People's Day 2015, um, and I shot it with a couple of friends at NYU where I studied linguistics and blah, 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 blah. Basically, another... It's just a short video talking about the importance of celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day instead of Columbus Day. And I, I definitely agree that's a great point to like, you know, start a conversation about these cultures and like talk about mainstream and why there aren't as many brown and black people, artists and whatnot. Definitely do agree that this was groundbreaking in many ways and still is. Well, an important point that we're all making that, yes, it, it's awesome that these characters were introduced to an American society, which 
would not have been introduced to them without these wonderful creators bringing them to the forefront. But also, yes, it would have been amazing, especially now that Marvel and DC are pushing so much more diversity if we get people who actually have firsthand experience at lives like these to write the characters. What do you think? Oh, so we kind of talked about this, but does anyone have anything to sort of add about the impact? If you think that there was any at all at the time the New Mutants was released in time in terms of its diversity for someone reading it? I think you mentioned, Gabby, a certain educational aspect to X-Men. And I definitely see that in New Mutants, for instance, when they go to Brazil and they're there for Carnival. There's a lot of like stereotypes that are drawn out. But, you know, you can imagine like a 14 year old never having heard of these things in the 80s and just like being exposed to them for the first time. And the I think that diversity tea as such as it is it's a limited diversity does have an educational quality for instance in the first issue when i think it's the first issue when danny moonstar says like no professor x is a white person i oh, hate that's, white people yeah that's marvel graphic novel number four which is the first appearance of the mutants yeah. exactly yeah it's the introduction of her character and it's like i could see a lot of parents telling their kid not to read this after she says i hate white people but she says it and that's that's education oh yeah that, and that's totally one of the most real moments of the comics in terms of i think her portrayal is you know when you know was it her grandfather is like oh this is your new caregiver and it's like a white man hell no and and it's and you and and i think that is you know like it really shows the and i think it points back to your point nolan about dealing with america's own like dirty laundry as opposed to presenting an international team in this sort of clean cosmopolitan kind of way actually showing the deep hatreds and divides that we have and on a social level and not just a like a good versus evil kind of level so i mentioned earlier the the themes that i was kind of struck by some of them were in the early issues anger fear revenge self-loathing guilt and i wanted to ask which theme put forward by the comics towards the beginning of the run uh resonated most with each of you for me i would say we talked a lot about danny moonstar but i think initially she kind of pulled ahead as the best character so for me i think it was like it wasn't necessarily anger, but it was like kind of this like confusion about where to go with life, like a being in between two worlds type situation. And I think it's one of the other reasons why I really enjoyed Ileana later or Magic because she was kind of like had this, I love, she has this like amazing dark side and pull between the two worlds. So I think for me, it was kind of, I think it was not necessarily anger, but it was like kind of those characters had a choice. I don't know. I think is probably the best theme for me. So for me, it was kind of like that decision to choose to stay with the team or to leave the team. Um, and kind of like choose like your own destiny type situation, which I really enjoyed. Would you say kind of it was about the decision between right and wrong or the decision between holding yourself back and, and moving forward or moving on? Yeah, I think it was kind of, I would say, I think it was almost like a moral decision, but which was made even better by this like the idea that like it necessarily it's not like you want them to be a part of the X-Men, but there's also an aspect of it's like it's like not even like what's best. It was really great because it blurred the lines of morality. So it's kind of like choosing what is good, but when you don't quite know what good is for you and what good is for the world. I think that the the twin related themes of like loss and perseverance are very strong in all the characters. The uh, uh, You read it and it has this kind of lighthearted quality despite what you're being told is that awful tragedies have happened to almost all of these characters. And you really think of them as like idealistic and perseverant. And this is a major difference from the uh, Generation X, which is the sort of second New Mutants that right. they're like aloof and bored like the actual Generation X. Right. Whereas these characters just, they're just so plucky. I think um, one of the themes that I really enjoyed thinking about and seeing in the books uh, was the theme of self-actualization or, you know, overcoming 
uh, fear of self or like self-loathing or something. And I think that it, you know, what Nolan says about the kind of the almost dissonance between the horror of these people's backstories and their like indomitable will and like lust for life. It's it to me, it really just feels and reminds me of being a teenager and having like the sort of, you know, almost bipolar experience of like feeling really, you know, feeling crushed by your own inadequacies and insecurities and like your family history or whatever and then also just being like so hopeful for the future and so ready to take your place in the world and I think that's like as everyone said is really exemplified by Danny's storyline and you know even though all of the mutants kind of encounter the new mutants they, they all kind of encounter troubles because of their powers and be and you know out of virtue of being mutants she is the one i think i think that rain is arguably also in this boat but i think they all kind of take pride in the fact that they have these or at least find some sort of you know sense of self-worth in their powers but i think rain because of the rain definitely does find pleasure in her powers but she feels conflicted because of her religious upbringing but danny definitely has a real conflict about whether or not the fact that she is different in this way if that is a good thing and whether or not she should just go back into the wilderness where she can't inflict people's worst fears upon them and i think that that's really you know seeing her go from this place of fear and hopelessness and confusion to a place of strength and self-possession is really cool and for teen audiences especially I think would be like really important and like a you know like kind of a, a light in the darkness of what it is sometimes to be an adolescent. I, I very much agree with you actually I think self-acceptance for me was a big theme that that resonated specifically with Danny specifically with Rain Sinclair Will Spain Karma I thought was really interesting in the beginning because even though she was terrified of herself and her power she you know ha- learned that she had to use it in order to survive and I thought that that was pretty interesting just overall you can even just say a couple words for this but what were your just general first impressions when you started reading it maybe after like the first five or six issues I would say I really liked it um, and I think it kind of relates to like the diversity aspect we were talking about but I really liked I always like books that I feel like have a really strong or like really strong characters in them and so for me like with all of their losses and the way they were already starting to develop I like immediately felt a really strong connection to all of the characters and all of their struggles and I thought their tragedies were extremely poignant so for me I think initially it was like a strong I enjoyed it because I felt like a really strong sense of connection emotionally to the problems that these kids were all going through. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Jamie. I think that the character backstories make you really, really feel for these characters and really want to know how the story will play out because the nature of the tragedies are such that you're not really sure whether or not they're going to cohere as a team and you're not really sure whether or not, like, I don't I don't think it's certain at any point that all of these people are going to stay, you know, on the New Mutants or, like, whether or not they'll just go off their own way and I think that's really interesting there's not a sense of like determinism you're just really like I don't know how these personalities are going to work together I think Gabby was pointed out something that I really liked was that there's so many personalities in the first issue like the first issue of New Mutants like you read that they're in the danger room or like they're going they're each every single person is going through the danger room and like it for me that was a lot of fun and I love stories that get into it right away you know it's it depends on what the artists and the creators are aiming for as well but for me that was that just pulled me right in um I think them dealing with their their powers and then you see some of them excel and others not so much you see that see them struggling a little bit more so I just thought that was a really interesting and fun way to start 
a comic about teenagers who are exactly are doing exactly that you know like exploring their powers and exploring um their abilities so we talk about the uh diversity of new mutants and how diverse it was at the time soon after the comic book starts they add magma amara aquila who is or however it's pronounced by Nolan, which was probably much better than my pronunciation, who's from Nova Roma, which is like an ancient Roman colony that somehow survived in the Amazon jungle for thousands of years. She's obviously a pagan woman, Ileana, Colossus' younger blonde sister. She's added, she has the power, of course, to control Limbo. Well, not the power, but she grew up in Limbo and controls it, and um, she has the power to, again, poop out teleport discs. Not poop. Not poop, sorry. Um, They come out of her hands. Kitty Pride, of course, a Jewish woman, but these are all white women and you know what is it two of them are blonde and then we're adding cypher later another just typical blonde guy so do you think the addition of any of them to the team in any way diluted a sense of diversity in the comic and if you think they added something to the team in the story what is it that they added conversely magic or iliana as i mentioned before i really enjoyed her because of her kind of like pull to the darkness that she's constantly kind of fighting with and dealing with so i think that Oh, no, it's kind of like it's one of those odd situations where it's like we talked about how like with the first or like we were saying with the first X-Men, it was like they had the woman character and we were all like, that's really surprising to have a woman superhero. So it's like it's kind of like you have this weird moment where like I like that there's all these women characters being added, but they all kind of like look the same. And that's a huge problem. And I feel like it's still a very prevalent problem. But there was some interesting stuff, I think, at least with their personality types. Magma's actually kind of like funny, especially as she goes on. Um, and I think she has some really intense power. And so I think it kind of just comes down to one of those awkward moments where you have to be like, I appreciate that you're all here, but you're all very white. So I have to be like, oh, well, OK, like you have interesting character pieces, but you're just not diverse. And then you're like, well, should we just like color it up? Like, it's like in, I don't know, I think I always prefer more diversity because it's just like always more interesting inherently because the world we live in is interesting and complex like that. But I do think that there was a lot, especially for me with magic, just because of her pull to the dark side and her like being in between. That was interesting. But I definitely think that there were other interesting stories to tell as well that definitely weren't told. Do you think, Jamie, that it became more of a feminist book adding three or four females to it? Yeah, I think inherently in some ways it has to be just because of they're all kind of different types of women. I, and I think that but I think that it was also inherently feminist in some ways whenever Danny Moonstar very clearly like stood out as the most complex and leader character. So I think but for me, it's always like I always enjoy more being added because there's like a million different stories to be told, especially about women that haven't been told before. So for me, I think, yes, for me, it's always a representation technically, especially like just sadly, we need it more all the time. So I think, yes. And I think that they're fairly complex. So I appreciate it. I, I also want to say this New Mutants, I'm sure, passes the Bechdel test, right? I'm fairly certain. Yeah. I mean, I have a really small point and it's I agree that Ileana is one of the characters that she seemed to, the problem I have is not like with the volume of women or necessarily the genre of women that are included, you know, as more women come to the series. It's more just like what purpose do they serve in coming and forwarding the story? And I felt like I really understood why why Ileana was part of the story. And I feel like she was more fleshed out than Magma or, you know, the whatever the any of the other characters yeah i i just felt like at certain points i think jamie you said in your answer just now that you said like set pieces or like just sort of like i don't know plot points or something and i they just felt i don't know they, i just didn't understand necessarily why it was important to include these characters in this story and that might that just might be my thin reading but i think I, I, I don't know. I just at certain points I was just like, why? 
I don't I don't really understand why these characters are here. All four of Magic, Cypher, Magma, and Warlock add something. And and what I can say first is that Magic and Warlock both add things that writers want that then it's their job to like flesh out well and they may or may not have done a good job. But but Warlock introduces space to the to the team, which was becoming a major aspect of X-Men. And uh Magic introduces magic to the team, which very soon as X-Men became like a mainstream title in Marvel, was gonna play a big role in these like Asgardian crossovers that were happening. I I think, you know, today we consider it normal that X-Men has like magic involved in it, but for the first like 15 years or so, it did not have any sorcery at all that I know of. And and certainly it's only a retcon that Scarlet Witch is related to the X-Men at all, you know, so... And now retcon that she's not. Well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the, and so they, they add these kinds of like uh, avenues that writers can then go down later on if they do it well, you know? So if, at least they're an opportunity. And then Cypher is more questionable. He is certainly a very thin character. I think that's why they killed him off. The writers hated him. Yeah, but he, but he is the first X-Man who has a, a power that I would want to have. You know, like, no, it doesn't have too many complications. There's no big drawback to it. In the real world, it's very useful. You can still be handsome. Uh, yeah, sure. And, uh... <laughs> I was referring to Cypher. Yeah, but you can too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Magma, I mean... What Magma adds, I think, is she's a, she's another character who's kind of like naive, like Cannonball. She has a different kind of naivete that can be interesting. Her unfamiliarity with the modern world is sometimes interesting. And most importantly, I think she adds in a great villain in the form of Celine, who I didn't even know about as a kid. And having read stuff uh, in recent years that makes me realize how cool a villain Celine is, I just add her to the roster of like great villains that x-men is a contender for like greatest comics villains basically so i'm glad for i'm glad for the whole amara aquila scenes because celine is awesome a lot of people don't know celine predates apocalypse in, yeah. in terms of Whoa. age she is the oldest i think she's ten thousand years old or something yeah just kidding 17 when i was reading it and i i didn't really notice the inclusion of these characters as like they're making it more white i just thought they were diversifying the abilities in the team like their um their superpowers and so i i don't know i just kind of like i don't know maybe you went with it yeah exactly i just went with it just because it worked it's, for you it's, yeah it, it started off really strong and then it's like you know there's different mutants out there that have special abilities and especially magma like she she doesn't even know and she's thrown into the volcano and she finds out that she has these powers and and so in that in that story in that issue i think it's like 10 you also see the other characters their role and their leadership like evolving like their roles within new mutants team and so it does i think they do bring a lot the new mutants i mean the the new inclusions into the team just to it kind of like brings up situations that perhaps the the first new mutants wouldn't have encountered before you know just not not only dealing with your own powers but also helping other fellow mutants deal with theirs and understanding their powers i know probably only nolan and uh jamie can answer this question but um emma frost is one of the main antagonists in new mutants for those of you who don't know and a lot of people don't realize that her character was so tremendously fleshed out in new mutants one in in the first volume one to a hundred now she's currently one of the most popular characters in x-men she's actually missing in action but she'll be back soon as kathy who now works for marvel says emma frost is evergreen and it won't be long before she comes back and also for a shameless plug we did an entire two-hour podcast on emma frost and we talk about her origin story and she's a fascinating character one of my favorites so i hope you guys check that out since you know emma frost in the morrison era and the post morrison era and astonishing x-men how do you reconcile that emma frost with this era with this emma frost um i know i was lucky enough in the 90s to read her journey from villain to anti-hero to 
you know, co-leader and headmistress of the X-Men. I'm not sure if you read that or not. If you haven't, can you see the new Emma and the old Emma and vice versa? I think that I see a lot of the modern day Emma in this Emma, at least in the sense of her commitment to her students, um, especially whenever she kind of gets to be in charge of the New Mutants of that whole situation with Magneto and she is trying to kind of like help them and clear their brains and she looks at Rain and she's like, this kid is really screwed up. I feel like she has this really intense sense of even though at that point in history, she's still obviously kind of evil and works for the Hellfire Club. She also has this sense of understanding the struggle of these kids. And I think that once you kind of flesh that out later on with the backstories that we get and the depictions we get later, you understand more of why that happens but I do think it's definitely a trait that she already had like I think it came out of a natural place that they were putting in with New Mutants especially in her Firestar incarnation like she very much she clearly has this really strong affinity for the kids and a really strong understanding of the kids um, and I think that that's one of Emma's greatest qualities it's like one of the things that gets thrown in her face even like later on in Grant Morrison whenever Jean like throws all the dead students she's had in her life right. like that's the most distressing concept to her um, so I think that her commitment to molding and helping other kids maybe not become just quite the same as she is in her adult life um, is very strong and even like kind of subtly present all the time in New Mutants. Firestar run is like the perfect thing to bring up for Emma. It's when oh, totally. it's it, she is uh, in some ways just like the plain old villain of that run, you know, quite simply. But at the at the same time, kills her horse, killed Butter Run. She kills, yeah, she she kills the horse and she Poor blames Butter it. Rum. She blames it on the girl herself who loves the horse. I you know. know. Hashtag yeah. butter rum. Yeah. She just uses mm-hmm. it to like undermine the girl's identity. It's terrible. But it, since there are so few characters in that, you do get way more like page time. I don't know with Emma, and right. you and you get a lot a sense yep. of her complexities. And you mentioned Genesis just now helping mutants understand their powers, and this is one of Emma's like huge things that she's been doing throughout New Mutants toward the Hellions and those New Mutants who would interact with her, who were willing to toward. Man in the early 90s toward a lot of characters like she has this like cutthroat attitude that's like you know very similar to Magneto's in a way like you must understand your powers or die and I will help you at all costs listeners that can't at home can't have seen it but Nolan was making some very strong gestures with his fist <laughs> so we're gonna talk about the Hellions for a second they're Emma Frost's rival team to the New Mutants they're introduced early in the series we're kind of running out of time for this segment so I just want you guys to answer are they a worthy opponent to the New Mutants I'm just gonna go through them quick I know that there's you'll help me Nolan I know there's Jetstream uh, the dude from Morocco I know there's Roulette Jennifer Stavros and who's blonde and she has luck discs also not hey, Roulette. that come out of the pooper Roulette and Tarot suck it's but the so other annoying. one no, I love Tarot Tarot, I love tarot. It's I love tarot. so weird no i love to i love cat's eyes her well. power i like her power, i'm gonna say her power is really annoying because when she uses it sometimes somebody be like oh why i tripped yeah. they're like oh my luck is just bad today oh it's the weirdest power yeah, it's they, the weirdest power wait tarot or roulette both oh no wait, it's roulette i think i oh, can't roulette, stand yeah. they power. blend together to me, the uh, uh, blend together. Jetstream is a little thin too, I think. But the other three of them are all really interesting for each of them being a kind of combination of two new mutants in a way. Like, like Empath is like the child of a wealthy Central or South American family who has some somewhat uh, racist, I, thought, I think he's Spanish, Hispanic from traits. Spain. He's from Spain. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, okay. And he, but his powers are more like Karma's than uh, like Sunspots. But in some, his personality is a little bit similar to Sunspot. Whereas Cat. Katsai has Warlock's inability to communicate with with Wolfsbane's, like, 
uh, feline form. And uh, James Proudstar has the position of a Native American, but power is similar to sunspots. And powers of being a super Native American, which Genesis and I talked well, about. Well, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes or no, are they worthy opponents to the new mutants, Scabby? Yeah, sure. You're not sure on it. Why aren't you sure? No, I mean, I think like Empath is one of the coolest characters. I love Empath. Yeah, so I I think they are. He's blind now. Yeah. I love him. Touching on James Proudstar, like I thought he was just a little, yeah, just too native. Like it just, they just put all the tropes in one character and it's overwhelming. I think kind of going along with that, I think that like we were all kind of saying, they're kind of a more thinly veiled version of the New Mutants. But I do think that like, especially Empath, I think like his story is so compelling. Um, Just like his whole thing where it's like he can't, when you think about emotion, like what would it be like if you could manipulate and feel everyone's emotions around you? How would you ever know how anyone ever truly felt towards you? I feel like it's like one of the most interesting and compelling ideas ever. And it's not even necessarily complete. I mean, I guess it's compelling in the same way that Danny Moonstar is compelling in the sense that she can pull into people's brains and it kind of makes her an inherent leader in some senses and she steps up for it. Um, but I think that there is kind of like it's that's not the most impressive pairing, but there are certain characters that just shine so much that you can't help but appreciate them. I love that they attempt to make combinations of the of the heroic characters. I don't like that one half of each combination is a racial thing. And I and I think Jetstream is just dumb. Like what? He's just cannibal. He's like, who even is he? He's <laughs> Harun Ibn Salah Al Rashid. Where is he from? Morocco. He does the exact same thing that Cannonball does. Yeah. He's more of a jet stream, and Cannonball is more of a cannonball. <laughs> just makes sense. Oh, when you explain it like Important that, it makes state. total right. sense. Oh no, my blast field. I feel like that's what Cannonball would say. Like every issue, <laughs> he's like, I can't control my blast field. Thank God I'm invulnerable, or else I would have been killed. Otherwise, I got a blast field. Literally every single time he explains why he's fucking up but he's not like, dying. I know he's like, whoops, I got thrown into Wolfsbane while my blast field was on. I'm invulnerable, but she's probably dead. Rain, are you dead? Oh no, I can't turn. I have a problems with. I have a blast field. It makes it hard to turn. Listen, though, it expresses his personality. You know, he's a stubborn, yeah. persistent guy, right? right so he can't yeah. turn, you know? Yeah. yeah. He's like, I got more power, but I can't turn. Honestly, like, he didn't need to do the danger room anymore. He needed to go to flight school. Exactly. No, it's, yeah. it's like, if only I could turn more, but I'll just keep hitting the ceiling. So God, I'm invulnerable. I know. And it's, there's that hilarious moment when, like, I don't know who says it, but, like, one of them is like, he's old and he's having l- trouble learning how to control his powers. And then literally <laughs> in the next panel, he's just like, damn it. I'm gonna break something else. It's <laughs> <is> so funny. <laughs> like, oh, poor Sam. <laughs> it's like you're teaching someone to ski and they don't understand turning and they just like go straight down the mountain every time and they almost break their ankle every time and you're just like, God damn it. Yeah, no, Sam is like that friend um, who I guess with your your typical friend with blast field powers who just can't turn, I guess. <laughs> he's a great guy, though. I love Sam's personality. Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah, he's awesome. And he's overcome some really great adversity. And I love how when girls come on to Sam, he just is like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. I actually love the Hellions. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be on the Hellions. I want the White Queen to be my teacher, <laughs> and I want to be in the Hellfire Club. I want to be on the Hellions, and that's when I started to love Emma Frost. I'm just putting that out there. My favorite Hellions, gotta say, I love the I love the team, unlike everybody else. I, I think they would be awesome if they got brought back to life after Trevor Fitzroy kills them in the 90s. 
many ways to bring them back. Celine did during the whole ex necrocious storyline, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have a favorite Hellion for me? Um, of course, I love Empath and Magma. They're like my favorite ship couple in this. I just learned the word ship a couple of months ago. I originally thought it had to do with actual ships. Had nothing to do with that. Favorite Hellions for me, definitely Empath. Uh, definitely Firestar Magma. Definitely uh, Thunderbird who becomes uh, Warpath later on. Genesis, favorite Hellion. I would say Magma. Uh, besides her, original Hellion. Oh, pass. You don't like them. No. <laughs> uh, Empath creates the most interesting plot lines, but uh, Firestar is the most interesting in terms of her personal life. Agreed. Gabulicious. I can say Empath, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then I'm going to say Empath. Yeah, I could tell if you were going to sleep with one of them, that would be the one you would choose. How did you, you know me so well? I, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, Jamie? I love Empath so much. He sounds like the one you would want to sleep with, but you'd end up sleeping with Jetstream. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know me? No, you'd Sam. end up sleeping with <laughs> Sam Guthrie for sure. If Sam Guthrie was real, Jamie would have slept with him. Let's just hope he can turn in that context. I feel like he's like he's like the most basic of the group. For those of us who've read Astonishing X-Men, Joss Whedon's book, interesting that Kitty Pride hates Emma Frost when, when Astonishing X-Men starts. There were so many issues that pitted Kitty Pride against Emma Frost. It's interesting because I think that I, I really love both of those characters. And as we all know, if I was an X-Men, I would like to be a lot of people, but one of them would be Kitty Pride, and Justin would obviously be Lockheed. Of course. I'd be on Ilyana's head the whole time. I think that it's, it's interesting because I think they're both really great characters. And I think in some ways because of that, they're like inherently destined to conflict. Like Kitty is great because she just like, I don't know, she just has this amazing like personal sense of worth in some ways and she just like gets this stuff done and emma's the same way it's just that they have like different approaches to it and so i think it's inherent and actually i've been thinking about this a lot recently about kind of like how like when you pit your women characters against each other and whether or not that's okay and i think that there's some instances where it's like you have to be aware of the context and whether or not it's okay but there are some instances where you have to respect your characters and their inherent differences and the thing is like kitty and emma are just too similar in a lot of ways with different goals to not conflict so for me i think that's why it was great and worked well enough in Astonishing X-Men, and I think that's why it was good here, too. The next thing I want to talk about is what's you know known as the Demon Bear Saga. I know a lot of people have a lot of emotions about it, but um, the beginning of it, issue 18, marks a major shift in the tone of New Mutants. It uh, clearly gets darker, and that's not only in the art, but the overall tone, which includes the writing. How would you describe Bill Sienkiewicz's art compared to the artists that came before him in the series, most noticeably Bob McCloud? I mean, I was actually thinking about this and I saw some panel, like panel to panel comparisons of some of the, you know, some of the renderings of, you know, of Rain's intermediate form, for instance, and of the demon bear. And there's just no contest really in my mind between who is the better artist in this in, in, or just or just the more evocative, interesting art. Right. I mean, the demon bear in earlier in the series is just kind of like a, a kind of either like a cloud bear or just like an angry bear. But then the demon bear in the demon bear saga is really kind of a formidable. And I don't know, it, it feels like it's symbol it's like it feels symbolic right. you know it, whereas before the the demon bear just looked like a representation of a bear or in rain's transitional form early on in the series is like laughable like she looks like a weird like i don't know she looks like a plush toy almost and then in in this form it's just a 
it's a better rendering of like a half woman, half wolf form. So I, I really appreciate the artwork. And I think for this episode of the or this, you know, sort of storyline of the um, of the new mutants, it's so great. that They got an artist who could capture the complexity and like capture the dark internal landscape as it is projected into the external landscape. It's interesting because the book was almost canceled. And that's one reason why they switched artists. So, Gabby, do you think that if you were reading this back in the day, would this have saved the book for you? I mean, you know, what is, you know, people, I mean, I think that a lot of times in comics, like, you know, the writing can be elevated or it can be hurt by like the art, you know? And I think that in this case, the art definitely elevates the writing. And definitely, if I was, you know, a reader, I would just out of sheer novelty of this new style and the more sort of impressionistic kind of, you know, I don't know, abstract kind of style, I would, you know, even that like one of the first big panels in the Demon Bear saga when Rain is lying in that underneath the checked cloth and the checked cloth turns yes. into the face of the bear. It says like everything that you'd want to say about what's going to happen. Her battle with the bear and how it's like literally haunting her dreams and it's just one panel and i just think that it's just really really well done art it was beautifully terrifying if i can say that without being cheesy i mean that in a non-cheesy non-sarcastic way going off of what gabby was saying there was something about the art that um especially with the bear like it it would like haunt and encapsulate the page like it would like kind of like literally in some panels like consume the other characters so that they were like in this frame of this huge formidable bear and it never felt like kind of like you were saying like laughable before like it never felt laughable it felt just like foreboding and terrifying even like the entire coloring and lighting of those issues is just so dark and purple and it's like the stars and these people are being consumed by the jaws of the bear and i think it's amazing and i think it just like added a whole other dark side which i think continues to show up in other places throughout the rest of the run but it all began there and yeah i think like especially like you were talking about like rain's transformation like in the past i feel like she looked like the wolf version of her looked like too human like like its eyes were too expressive and it had too many like forehead wrinkles and she was purple <laughs> but as time especially with like the understanding of like animals and stuff as it went along with this art style. I mean, that was a choice. It was a more, it was attempting to be more expressionistic, but this is like what you said, Gabby, like more abstract. And I think especially with the demon bear saga, considering it's dreams anyway, it needs to be focused more on feeling than focused on like the anatomy. And I think that with the bear, like even though it might've been like too big or insane, it felt like that was how it feels to the characters. And I think it really elevated the story, like Gabby was saying. Totally, Jamie. And I should have said expressionistic instead of impressionistic, so I'm glad you said that. (laughs) I think another shift in tone is marked by the setting in the real world of the Demon Bear Saga, that they are trapped in a police station in Westchester County, and they must hide their identities and their identities as mutants in a much more active way than they have in the previous issues. And they are dealing with kind of like everyday people who live near the X-Mansion in Westchester County. And this is uh, this is very interesting and it is dark because it starts from like a realistic point and then it moves in a dark direction. Uh, shout out to Westchester County. Also, what I was going to say before is shout out to uh, Scott McCloud on the picture plane because I feel like we have a more clear understanding and better vocabulary to talk about this from, you know, reading his theory books like Understanding and Making Comics. So I just wanted to point that out there. I wish I had the picture plane in front of me and it would be interesting to map where any mutants was in the beginning of the series versus um, when Bill Sinkowitz comes and takes over. It'd be interesting to see where those two things lied on the picture plane. And then later in New Mutants, when it gets a little bit more cartoony 
how would you describe Bill Sinkowitz's art compared to the artists that came before him in the series and about the overall shift in tone to something darker? It just came out of the blue for me, the fact, this whole demon bear saga. Although I do have to say, and I have to agree with everyone, the art was extremely well done and like very beautiful. And it is really difficult to portray this dreamlike phase that Danny is going through and like how her friends are also dealing with them trying to help her out. So I definitely appreciate the like the portrayal of these expressions and the confusion that is going on because they don't know what's going what's happening to Danny during this these few issues. And I know Genesis from talking with you that you had some issues with the fact that Tom and Sharon are <laughs> transformed from Caucasian to Native American. Gabby, you look like you're shaking your head as well. Uh, yeah. Would you guys like to talk about that for a second? <laughs> I mean, what is there to talk about? I Why know. does that happen? I don't. I don't. I it was, was insane. I was kind of horrified well, when I saw that. You know what? It's the thing that's really problematic about it is okay. Among the, uh, you know, just aside from like the WTF, like Y value, yeah. is <laughs> the fact that the, uh, these people start off as you know your blue collar nurse and policeman, right. and then after they're touched by the evil, the like the primal demonic other sort of figure they're turned into native american people right and then it's like oh gosh they'll never be their true form again <laughs> and it's like almost like you know that is the cross that their their burden for eternity is that they are now native american people after being possessed by the demon bear exactly which is just like i mean i don't even want to try to unpack that because really like why like yeah and, and the thing is it was so unnecessary you know like it, there's no sort of logical process you can go down to <laughs> try and figure out why that decision was made i think it's dangerous to portray to give this little add to add this part of the story that white people these two white people were turned into native americans just because it kind of happens in in like football games you know when people do red face and people think it's just so easy to represent native people and so i think that's where the danger lies in the fact that like it's just so mainstream to think, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just, you know, honoring your ancestors or whatever. That's what came to mind for me. But apart from that, I think I was just, I, yeah, I'm, I'm at loss too. Like, I don't know, understand why they wouldn't do that. <laughs> and also the point that you make that like, I have an, you know, that I think about is the idea that just because they look like Native American right. people that they are now Native American exactly. people when all when all we really see is that they, you know, have darker skin mm -hmm. and long, dark hair. Exactly. And the fact that like they had to enter this like other dimension and I think also when when they try to rescue Danny in this other dimension, there are also they combat other native people, I believe, like native native spirits. And like that's the only only other encounter you have of native people or native characters in uh, up to this point, like in New Mutants. So it was really alarming for me to see that. I was just like, oh, you have to go to another dimension, you know, you have to go into this like dreamlike world to encounter Native American characters, and not just that, but Native American illusions, I guess you can call them. Like demonic avatars. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, literally. And like these, just like, I don't know. I, I was just so horrified about it. And I do think, though, that it did help Danny become the leader that she is because she did have to face those demons. I just think it's, it could have been done so many other ways. Yeah. I mean, really, like, I think what we're both pointing to is the fact that so much of it just feels incongruous or it just yeah. feels kind of like what like th it doesn't it doesn't feel supported right it feels random almost yeah even the idea that the demon bear is actually 
Danny's parents. Yes. And then they say like we were sort of possessed by this demonic being and forced and like incorporated in it. So they're real. And it's just so weird. Like I just don't understand why this happened. And that's why it's a bit infuriating that we were told that the demon bear killed her parents. But then when the demon bear is vanquished, they just appear and they're like, sorry, we had to stalk you and try to kill you all this time (laughs) because we were stuck in this (laughs) demon bear. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's not awkward about it at all. Yeah. Like, good to have you the back, mom and dad. She's just like, it's fine. They're like, oh, so it was you guys. Okay, that's fine. It's all clear now. I love you. That's why I, I like haven't known you. To me. I'm not an orphan. Always cared. Thank you. Do we like the Demon Bear Saga? I actually, as much as I have like objections to it, I enjoyed it. I do too. I think yes. Yeah, I was like the things that we all just said about the ending are a huge problem, but I think that. The idea and the way it, like like we were saying, applied to Danny's life, I think was really good. I always want to see more of like just kind of regular U.S. life, which you also see some of in Generation X. But most of Demon Bear Saga is not that. It's like a, a, a ur-demi-plane desert before the Europeans arrived, blah, blah, blah. So that stuff is cool. It's avant-garde. It's a very surreal art style, but... It's at the cost of some problematic stuff. How would you guys describe the Demon Bear saga at its core? I I talked about it in my notes here as it being a struggle within Danny or herself. I mean, what what is it symbolic of and and how would you describe it in a sentence or two to someone who asks simply like, what is the Demon Bear saga? I think I would go with kind of what you were saying, like as a, a struggle, but I think it's also kind of like a metaphorical attempt to reconcile the loss of her parents is what I would say so I think that and like I mean it's, and that's why another reason why the ending's kind of wrong like it's like you get them back so it doesn't really like it, get, it takes away all of the work she kind of did with the ending but I do think it's definitely about dealing with your inner demons but I think the more specific theme is like accepting and coming to understand the loss um, that you had in the past still learning to use that and accept it and then grow from it the you know like Ibsen's ghosts like the ghosts of the past literally come to haunt the future and you have to overcome that haunting to be able to move forward and progress but the ending throws that idea into kind of out because Mm -hmm. the parents are literally i don't know it's strange but i yeah i totally agree with you jamie Mm -hmm. that it's about like dealing with loss dealing with like over facing one's fears so that one can be like actualized all right so another interesting thing about new mutants is that it is the first appearance of David Haller, also known as Legion, also known as Professor Xavier's son with Gabrielle Haller, who apparently likes to smoke a lot of cigarettes. So what I thought was interesting about him was that he's labeled as having autism. And I wanted to get some of the stats on autism. So I was looking up, I, w- I was interested in looking up how many people had autism at, at the time when this comic came out versus now, which we know it's greatly increased. What I found was that autism itself had just entered the DSM in 1980, which was only a few years before Legion's first appearance. Given that autism is so prevalent now, the, the statistic that I found most recent was one in 68 of American children have are born with autism. We know so much more about it, about it now. It's, it's so much more in society. My nephew is actually on the autism spectrum. Do you think that we read this differently now than we might have or or that other people did in the 1980s when, you know, here's an autistic character who also not only has autism, but multiple personality disorder, which is now called disassociative personality disorder? I think that. Oh, no, you're going to go. I think that in a lot of ways that 
issue or that kind of arc is more explanatory than it's more it's in a lot of ways it's interesting but then at the same time it's also very informational in a lot of ways and i think that's interesting and i think it's something that people wouldn't do now at least not in the same way because i feel like there was kind of an aspect to it because there's a whole thing where they go inside his brain and they're concerned they'll get trapped inside of it and it's kind of like it breaks it down into like the most simplistic parts it's like this is how his brain works so in some ways, it's kind of like the same problem where it's like simultaneously extremely progressive, but then at the same time, it's like dummy it down to like he is his autism. So I feel like there, it's like kind of like the same problem with a lot of the things we've been talking about and also like maybe even just the 80s in general, where it's like these all of these things are coming to consciousness all at the same time. And it's like at some point, you have to be like, well, people just don't understand. So we have to explain to them, but at the other point, you're dummy it down. Do you think it was courageous, Jamie, of Chris Claremont to have an autistic character? I think it was. I mean, I think it I think it was also courageous to like have that character be so connected to Xavier. Like in some ways it feels like it's kind of against the grain to be like, like we shouldn't imply that one of like our most powerful characters has like a son with a disability. So I feel like in that way it's too it's like and it's fine. Like it's really generally just fine. So I think that almost like the connection he has to the world is more impressive than even just having him in general. I mean, but I I also think that correct me if I'm wrong, but when did Rain Man come out? Oh, uh, I'm not sure. Somewhere in the 80s. Right. I think I feel like from seeing like a couple of films right around then. Yeah. Around that time. Mm -hmm. And like just remembering in my foggy memories about like some of the stuff I've seen from the 80s. There was kind of a a cultural moment of awareness of autism. And I don't want to be so cynical as to say that Chris Claremont was cashing in or just putting his you know horse in the race of you know autism awareness but i do think i did kind of as i was thinking about the time this came out and reading it kind of got a sense for that of like there was a sort of cultural fascination with autism at the time and like savants and autistic people and like what you know and how you know and their difference and this and that and so i think it's great obviously as we were talking about represent like politics earlier it's always great to explore different narratives and ways of being but at the same time i can't help but think that it was also kind of like a moment of fascination so that being said david is portrayed as the antagonist for this portion of the new mutant series did you find his character to be sympathetic i think yeah especially in his con- connection with xavier nolan I didn't feel like David had a character in this, you know. He doesn't have lines. I mean, he within his own mind there is like a David, but he's more of like a this like world unto itself in which what's being played out within which what's being played out to me is not a conversation about mental disability, but a conversation about Israeli Arab relations in like the in the 1980s. I mean, that's what's going on inside his mind. There's a terrorist character, there's like a western adventurer character. The his mother is a ambassador from Israel to England, I believe, or is it the other way around? Uh, I think she's an Israeli ambassador mm. to England, to Great Britain. And like that, that is what's going on in this story to me. We, you know, they just kind of like use this excuse of autism to have this vegetable of a character into whose mind we can go and then have a kind of mixed up version of, of the political situation in the Middle East at the time. Uh, Giant Sister Jamie, you guys have anything to add? I do remember reading like about Legion and I didn't yeah I agree with Nolan I, I didn't see the autism as the as an important role or an important part in in his character in Legion's character I, I was surprised to learn that he was autistic and I think it would have surprised many people if they in the 1980s reading this comic book 
it would it be safe to say that they would go out and like research on it who knows we don't know but i it could be it could be something like uh that they were aiming to do but i honestly doubt it i i just think it's something that again was happening or they're trying to understand in the larger context and they added this to the character yeah i'd say when i was a kid i thought whatever he had was some like really far off obscure thing when i was reading it because you know as a society we didn't it, it wasn't as in the forefront i mean this is after rain man probably that had kind of died down from the you know being in the forefront of whatever kind of cultural conversation we were having about mental health but that being said I, yeah it was it was it was very foreign to me that's probably the word i would use to describe it uh jamie how about you i think just going off what everyone has said i would have to agree and i think what Noah was saying about like it being its own world is definitely kind of true. Like it's just kind of an excuse for this world. And at the same time, it makes me think about how, like, even right now, like, I don't know if I could think of a lot of great characters that have disabilities that, like, fall on the autism scale. You know, it's like, so, and 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 he's not necessarily, and he's really not a great one either. Because, like, we said, like, he has, like, a David personality and it asserts itself, but it's really less about that um, than it is about kind of, like, the world and more about Xavier in a lot of ways and his past relationship. So I think it's just kind of like one of those things where you have to look at it and go, it's cool that you brought it up because it kind of was a part of this cultural moment and you kind of explained it. But honestly, I don't think you can say it inspired any real interest in it uh, going forward, at least in our modern day. So I think it's kind of like, it's interesting if I, and if I saw like a lot of characters coming out of it, maybe I connect, connect it to that, but sadly I can't. So it's kind of like just sad to see that like that was kind of the full extent of our exploration. In a lot of ways. It's worth noting that FX has picked up a television pilot about the character Legion. Uh, that's going to come out in 2017. That takes place in the X-Men cinematic universe. Although it will be outside of it, but it's supposed to be in that vein. It's going to talk about Legion's struggles in X-Men Legacy when he's the main character after, spoiler alert, the death of Professor X um, at the end of Avengers vs. X-Men. Uh, so moving on from there, I, I, I thought what a huge difference a colorist makes. Bill Sinkowitz is still the penciler, but the colors and inking are so much less dark, so much more vibrant, very saturated kind of bold colors versus the darks, how muted the colors were during the Demon Bear saga, the inks, the black. We saw a lot less of that. And I was wondering, as we moved into the story with Shan and the Shadow King, if that changed how you received the story at all. Jamie. I think it did. Um, and I would say that one of the cool things about that story was kind of when she was possessed, she had like, you know, like that disco like lair thing. Like it was it was a nice, new, vibrant feel. And it kind of like in like injected a lot of because that was a different kind of story. Like it was like because like whenever those kind of people like people are possessed, it's like more like plot driven and it's like playing with the characters and the way they act to each other and the tropes and she's controlling all these people in all these wacky ways so I felt like it was more appropriate because if they had done the same thing they had been doing with like the more muted sat like dark feel it would have just felt so menacing and creepy and gross that like you couldn't even get into it or appreciate it but whenever it's vibrant like that it's kind of got more of a like a manic almost Quentin Tarantino feel with its craziness so I think that it was a nice a nice change because definitely like it's like when you brood it's like it's still upsetting but it's like if you brood too much i can't brood anymore so i think that the like update with the style was a nice nice change for certain and a change of type of story too so i think it really helped i think that it brought the comic back to a much more typical kind of comic art style that was less challenging and less avant-garde and um that has its advantages and its drawbacks I did see it as kind of um, leaving the Demon Bear saga behind, kind of entering a new era, both with, you know, with Danny and, and the New Mutants itself. And I thought it could have been representative of that, but it could have also been that the colors made me see it as that. I did like it, although I definitely loved the way 
the Demon Bear saga was colored. So the big reveal in this arc uh, with the Shadow King is that Karma is still alive and that she's actually possessed by him and she gets extraordinarily obese. So was anyone shocked by that? Because it was kind of a, a typical comic book trope uh, in that they brought someone who we all thought was dead back. And I guess if anyone was had that like kind of like <gasps> moment or were you guys expecting it? She was definitely coming back. I mean, that was like that. She disappears. The body's not found. You know, it's it's only like seven issues into the series or something. You know, there's something that they're planning here. Jamie, what about you? I was kind of surprised only because it took a lot of issues for her to come back. So like, even though I was kind of like reading them all at the same time, I was like kind of just like, oh, I forgot. I just kind of like because, you know, characters sometimes um, when the comic will come, I mean, in the X-Men universe, not always, but they come in and out just based on like how interesting they are and whether or not they had a story. So I was kind of like, oh, like her story just felt kind of told. So I kind of was like, oh, they just like let her out and they'll bring her back randomly. So like, for her to come back as, I think it was more of a surprise to me that she just came back as such a major antagonist. So in between the, in between some of the issues that were in the 30s, I forget exactly which number, I think it was 34 and 35, a New Mutant special comes out. The art is definitely a departure from what we see in the main New Mutant story. And I thought that series did a really good job of getting to the nitty gritty of the characters. There was a little bit of Asgard in it, and uh, it definitely dealt with karma. I-, I guess that I saw it as such a significant issue, kind of yes or no. Did you guys also see it as an issue that helped move the story forward, that really helped us get into karma, her mind, and the way it works, and her journey and struggle? Jamie? <laughs> That's the, is that the issue where um, they're in Asgard and Danny gets asked to join the Valkyries? Yes. It might be. I think it is. It's the one where Karma Karma loses her weight. Yes, and she loses the weight. Okay, yeah. No, I thought that I really did like that issue. Yeah, and there was because it was kind of nice. It kind of the same thing that I liked about the first issue, where it kind of segmented off all the characters and it gave them their little moments. And I thought that was something that kind of was missing and they were getting too groupy and not enough of themselves. So I think I really enjoyed it. And I do think that the things that stand out the most were that Valkyrie episode because it was interesting to see that Danny had this kind of, it made sense too because it was like she has this independence and calling and sense of justice. Like she's very, like she's better than this in my opinion, but she's very like super, uh, not Superman, uh, Spider-Man in a lot of ways. Like she has this great power and great responsibility. And I think with Karma, it was really great for a similar reason, like her internal strength. Um, like her perseverance and like it's really hard to convey that to like via comic it's like we're just watching a person struggle in a desert like they're not really doing anything it was very passive but her like tenacity i think made it active i couldn't agree um, more i love the I part think. with the alligator as we as i mentioned sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> were you done no you're good all right cool i was done yeah. uh no one you look like you have something to add no you don't all right so yes yeah, what she possesses the alligator and then eats it yeah yeah, that's amazing. No, no, no. It was like in the spirit. No, she had already lost weight. She had already lost her weight from being the Shadow King. Now she was getting too skinny and she needed to eat something because she was in the desert. No, alligator is yeah, a great choice because uh, one of my favorite rappers it only. Been a lizard. Oh, well, okay. That's a big that's difference. That's really lame. <laughs> Like a let's say, dragon? let's assume it's a let's like assume a little lizard. No, no, no. It was let's rather... assume it's an alligator. Okay, let's assume it was in an the alligator. desert or a crocodile. Why would an alligator? It's impossible. Why would they be in the perhaps exactly. a caiman? No, it was definitely. A <laughs> okay. Do you remember Jamie? Bearded dragon. <laughs> I think it was an alligator, but I cannot confirm. Okay, we cannot confirm or deny <laughs> if this was an alligator or a lizard. Um, can someone please fact check this? Just kidding, Gabby. Sorry. You're no, right. I mean this is really off topic, but can I still say it? Absolutely. I was just going to say that that's I really admire her for eating the alligator because one of my favorite rappers, Danny Brown, 
Shouts out Danny Brown. Oh my Brown. God, I love him. Only eats like alligators and like top tier predators because he wants to eat things that could possibly kill him. And I think love that it. if you're going to eat meat, you should just eat the strongest meat you can. And that's clearly what she was doing. That's By the brilliant. way, full disclosure, I'm vegan, so I don't eat any meat. But if you're going <laughs> to eat meat, like eat a eat an alligator, eat a tiger, eat a top tier prime i'm I'm not against i'm not principally against eating meat for others i'm just saying if <laughs> others want to eat meat they should eat top tier predators to become their strongest selves and live their best lives and that's clearly what shan's doing when she eats the alligator <laughs> i don't know if that's <laughs> you can't uh, it's that's true. Like the opposite that of what she's doing yeah. i'm afraid of him i'm being like lame because or not lame you shouldn't say that but like uncool because like i'm eating like a low tier cow exactly you could easily like jamie i've seen you like you could take a cow all right but could you take <laughs> an alligator yes, I, I don't know i don't know dude maybe, i, I don't so know maybe. i don't know if i've eaten enough top tier predators to have the strength to really take an alligator like maybe i could work my way up to like some really intensely large lizards or snakes <laughs> and then i keep working up the food chain until i'm at alligator and then maybe one day who knows like buffalo or like Longhorn. I'm thinking I love Longhorn buffalo. is it's really a delicious where I want to meat. aim at. There you go. Buffalo is a delicious meat. Shout out to bison. <laughs> Shout out to the bison, Oklahoma. For I miss being you. Eaten. <laughs> Good job. Oh my god. Yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> anyway, but they're they're tasty little things. Right. I mean, nutrient wise, it's better to eat on the lower tier because you have more. You absorb. You get more of their Genesis. Now we're just getting fucking crazy. I'm, I'm just saying. What are these I want to know what Genesis. What well, you can tell her because um, if you eat a cow, then that cow a cow is like uh what what is it what's the word for oh, it's a primary it's, it's a primary yeah it, and they me, eat right? grass i and have so the essence of cow in you me, get right? more of the grass that way i'm, I'm not yeah, talking exactly. about the nutritional value Genesis. That's what I learned i'm talking about the i'm just saying in case value. some of the people out there are like wait a second <laughs> is that just like how when you eat like you bottom feeding fish you get more of the mercury the like the, if you want a lot of that mercury then you want to eat those bottom feeding fish or I'm sorry. I just had to say it. It was like killing you. me inside. I had to. It's um, interesting. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sufficiently interested right now. <laughs> I think it was interesting to see that Shan left or not left the group, but she was taken out of the series like early on because I just can't help but wonder what would happen if she was still there. Because for me, she was just a really strong character from the beginning. And so I would have thought that she would take the lead or she'd be one of the leaders of the group uh and maybe danny wouldn't be or maybe um what's it guthrie guthrie sam guthrie yeah yeah sam guthrie <laughs> i can't pronounce his name Samuel guthrie. <laughs> or maybe he wouldn't be you know so i just thought it was interesting that she was taken out at that moment and then brought back although i was very happy when she was she was back so before we delve into uh the issues i'm about to talk about i think it is a lot of people don't know that magneto was the leader of the x-men for a while in the 80s and you know they think of him as a villain now he's an anti-hero but yeah there was a time he was fully aligned with xavier's vision so okay well i guess i, I want to combine these kind of questions so what do you think about the change from xavier to magneto being headmaster of the school and is there any noticeable difference between xavier and magneto's teaching style and if there is do you think it affected the team dynamic magneto is totally different from xavier he's totally like uh like authoritarian he, he takes it in the white queen direction you know he has that like you know survive for your own good that kind of like we'll weed out the weak kind of attitude <laughs> what is that how magneto speaks no one only that's like right? the only accent he can do that's what is michael <laughs> fassbender impersonation i love magneto though you know i love magneto i my favorite part of the comic is probably when magneto is headmaster 
Anybody else have any thoughts Survive on that? Survive for your own good. <laughs> Magneto also has a great love story during this part. With Lee Forrester? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Cyclops also has a great love story with. Oh, I didn't know that. Who doesn't Cyclops have a love story? Cyclops is a great love story with everyone, honestly. Me and Cyclops are in love in some version of reality, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else on this topic? Well, it's just a, it's a lot, like I think like Noam was saying, it's just a lot less nurturing, you know? It's like, this is the world, it's horrible, be strong enough or die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Another thing I think about Magneto here is is um he is like the third evil version of Professor X to show up in only about 50 issues of New Mutants. You know, first you have uh, Professor X's son, then you have the Shadow King who is like, you know, evil psychic par excellence, has a past with Professor X from the early 20th century, blah, blah, blah. He th- Professor X thought he killed him, but he didn't. And then Magneto, of course, is an evil version of Professor X. We all know that. And and they're... And, evil. Well, Alternates. a dark version. Yeah, no, I love I love it when Magneto's an anti-hero and stuff too, but and, or an anti-villain or whatever, but a uh, he's a villain version of Professor X. And a lot of the time people think there's only like two, three dark Professor X's in X-Men and they're like a Cassandra Nova, Onslaught, and Magneto, who is already sort of, Magneto and Onslaught are already like the same thing, right? But there's a lot of them and New Mutants has a lot of them. On the Magneto subject, right? Oh, yes. If you have, I was wondering, do you have something, do you want to add something? I do. I want to say, I think that I, one of the things that I thought was interesting or like good about him, at least at that point, was that he... He pushed them in a way that was different. And I think that he kind of like pushed them too far. And I thought that was interesting. And I thought it brought a lot of interesting things out in the characters. Um, and it's kind of like a, and it is kind of like a white queen situation where it's kind of like, what happens if we teach them in a different way? Like, what happens if we teach them in this reality focused way? Uh, no one's like laughing at me. <laughs> but I think it's really, I, I enjoy what it does to the other characters when they're put into a different situation when they're like kind of under more duress. And I think it really helped Danny's character along too. Honestly, everything that I enjoyed about New Mutants probably helped Danny's character along. Um, <laughs> but I think that it pushed her in a, a strong direction. And I think that she kind of comes to have this really interesting reverence for Magneto. Like we were saying, like he's not as so evil, he's different. And I think that's this is a great example of that aspect of him. And I think that even though it was kind of like short lived and it probably couldn't last too long i think that it was very interesting when it happened what did you think of how magneto related to emma frost jamie i think i like i kind of like enjoy it like i feel like they have this nice sense of like interesting respect for each other because i think that this was the arc where um he like handed them over to emma for a while there and danny kind of begged to be taken back and i thought that it was just interesting because they're interesting characters because they're powerful and they're smart and you just never quite know where you stand and I think that between their two interactions, there's like a great thing. And I think that it's a thing that Xavier and Magneto have too, where they can have this respect and suspicion of each other and it can exist in both spaces. And I think it's kind of like what I was saying, but the moral dubiousness, like it makes it just more interesting. So for me, it was kind of like Emma's a great character in general. And I think that when you put her in respect, like with her respect for Magneto and Magneto's respect for her together, it just makes them more compelling. Does anyone else have any thoughts on the power dynamic between Magneto and Emma Frost? Nolan? I, I think uh, that the recent cooperation between them and X-Men was being foreshadowed, or perhaps it's being recalled now at this time when they try to take over the... Well, a little after this, when they try to take over the Hellfire Club together mm-hmm. and establish only a single queen, only a single king, and shut out uh, Sebastian Shaw and Celine, uh, which is just awesome. And also, I think their attitudes toward education are 
are implicitly connected to each other, but they are the, an explicit connection is drawn between them when empath gets the better of both of them. And and Emma is the only one who could actually like who can actually like stop empath from doing things. And she like tries and fails, though she thinks she succeeded. And he ends up like you know tricking both of them, which is awesome. I do love this era of New Mutants because it has so many great single issue self-contained stories one of the ones that pop out to me is issue 45 it's got magma on the cover with some flowers in her hair and it deals with the mutant who has the power of light who gets bullied at school uh he ultimately commits suicide at the end of the issue kitty pride has a speech which i remember reading as a child and i was at the time blown away by and not now not so much but i think being a little kid and just hearing a character in a comic say i'm flat chested for me was a big deal because i was like oh they're supposed to be perfect like they're not perfect and like i had never really seen someone own not being perfect before so for me that was uh kind of profound so i was wondering if you guys had any strong reactions to this this issue was obviously meant to deal with diversity bullying othering that kind of stuff was it successful and what were your reactions if so or if it was not jamie uh i was gonna say i think that it was very successful. I read it, I read it like twice now, but the first time I read it, I really enjoyed it for two reasons. The first reason was that I really enjoyed how he was like trying to cover his powers with the new mutants. And so like he was saying all of that, like whatever, not PC, not kosher stuff, obviously. And I thought that was an interesting thread. And then of course they're very upset and they left because like we're all kind of, when we're in society and we know what's right, we're all performing that thing. And I think it's just interesting that and sad um, and well put by the comic that like these people who are the similar just because of the way society felt about that concept were not getting to be comforted by each other and it was kind of like it's like you can't really say it's anyone in that specific conversation's fault it's just the way the structure was and I also think that I really always liked Kitty's speech most because it reminds me a lot of I really love Buffy and it reminds me of Buffy's speech in Earshot in season three where she kind of talks about how everyone nobody like notices your own pain because they're all too busy feeling their own So I think that there's like a great, it's simplistic in its sense, but there's something very powerful about and really sad about like what I was talking about before with like the we're missing each other, but we have the same problem. So I think that even though sometimes it can get dumbed down to like kind of, I guess, like a very simplistic bullying narrative at the same point, there's like a really like strong sense of loss, even in this like one short issue where you just meet this character. I feel like the story in itself maybe is just what makes it so poignant for me. Another single issue that really jumped out to me was number 62. It's actually one of my favorite issues of New Mutants ever. It's the one where Magma and Empath leave the Hellions to go back to Nova Roma. Um, the art to me is really awesome. I wish it was longer. I wish it was like an annual and like double or triple or quadruple size so it could go even more into their characters. But it made me think of several different things, actually. One of which was that Amara defected to the rival team of the New Mutants, the Hellions, period. And now her and Empath were leaving with the White Queen's blessing to go back to Nova Roma. And, and you know, they, they both sort of have to deal with each other after their plane crashes and spend all their time with each other trying to survive in Nova Roma until they meet up with Amara's family. What do you guys think of the fact that Amara defected to, to the Hellions at all? And what did you think about this particular issue as it's as a self-contained story jamie you look like the only one most interested in answering this which is sad because you didn't look um, at all no <laughs> well i was gonna say the thing i really love about this issue is i reread it today and i've always we mentioned before like we, most of us our favorite character was empath and i think that even though it's about amara it's like they're both really great characters and it never really was used as much as it was in this issue like amara's like resourceful and tenacity and like she just like is the kind of go for it type person and empath just has these insane doubts about how everyone feels about him all the time 
and Emma's really great in that issue too with her conversation with Empath and how he's like unwilling, like subtly, he's like, she tells me subtly changing Amara's opinion about him. So then he, of course, becomes very concerned. So I think it's great from an emotional standpoint, I think is what makes that issue the best. Uh, I mean, Empath is at his best, very emotional and makes you even like question your own. I think that like, at least we as people sometimes all question our own emotional responses to things. We're like, why do I react that way? Um, and so I think Empath is a really great example of that fear we have in our lives so i think that him or like in that issue he is in combination with amara like one of the best things about like the hellions ever cool uh do you think that or what do you think it says about amara that that she becomes a hellion and do you think that we learned anything new about either of them in that issue aside well i think you mentioned that we learned Mm -hmm. that empath is you know very insecure and is constantly questioning if people are reacting to him because of his power or because of who he is as a person. Aside from that, Mm -hmm. um, do you think we learned anything new about them? And again, I just wanted to bring up the point about magma defecting, which apparently I'm like really not cool about, but no one, everyone else is like, whatevs. Yeah. Well, I, (laughs) I think that for me, at least I like, I like get it. Cause I feel like there was some of this stuff that was like sewn in, in the past where she was kind of like, or it was something I was reading. I think it was her saying like, she was like, I got to always play by the rules. Like, I don't know. There was some like thing where she like left her society to join a new one. And she was like, I just don't think I quite get these rules. And so I feel like it made sense to me. Like she was always the most rambunctious and like the least concerned about her, like fitting in to the group. So I think that once she kind of like, made this connection with empath and the group i felt like it feels like she just kind of like because she is such a go for it like she's just like a kind of person like she's just like like she'll do it so i feel like that was it was like impulsive and that didn't surprise me i guess is like the best way to put it i did like how she's like well they have servants and i grew up with servants i should leave (laughs) and be where there are servants i was like yeah yeah um, you don't find it dis- you're not saying you find this to be unbelievable you're what is your problem with this oh my i don't really have a problem with that i just thought it was more significant that you guys did because you guys look like you were like all passing a fart well, um it's pretty temporary you know <laughs> but, like but um no I, I i guess what i thought was i don't know i mean i, I didn't like it obviously i i think that it says that her loyalties maybe aren't as strong as the other characters i also think that it was i don't know i, I it was interesting to say the least and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it, honestly. I mean, but from the beginning... But when I was a kid, I got it. Because I was like, that was the team I wanted to be on. Not because they had servants. I'm obviously kidding. But I guess they were like a little bit more ruthless. So I kind of liked that when I was little. And the White Queen was the leader. I guess I was a ruthless mother... <laughs> growing up. You were a ruthless, <laughs> luxury-obsessed child. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's yeah. why you liked Emma Frost. Hell yeah. Uh, Genesis. I love her. We all do. I mean, I don't think it was... It's that big of a surprise that she would... Amara. I mean, I'll just let you know if one of my interns were like, hey, I just started working for CBR, I'd be like, mm. <laughs> mm, I guess if you put it that way. I'd be like, well, I guess. Um, I'm like, well, they are more corporate. Yesterday, yeah. I just don't, I, I guess I wouldn't be that surprised that Amara would cross over or like, you know, not be as loyal. I guess it depends on the intern. Same way. That's, I guess so. Um, if it was yeah. Cannonball, no. Yeah, exactly. If it was like if Sam, like, it would have been a servants. really big. Even from, like, and also some white guy being like, "Oh, I until, want servants around." That yeah, until the out. end, like Sam is like That'd one of the okay. ones that are, he sticks around at like during the end of New Mutants. He's right. still there, and he's like wondering, like, you know, this is family. We should stick together. If he was the one who was like, he would. If he was the one to join the Hillians, and I would have been like, all hell is bro- like broken loose because like it's so out of his character. But Amara, like, I don't know. 
I don't think it's that that surprising. And plus, what would Jetstream and Cannonball have done on the same <laughs> team? You know, they would have just been they would have flown together. Oh, let's break stuff. Could <laughs> be like you're more powerful I, than I. But I'm I finally can turn. I'm finally on a team with someone I can relate to. Right. You know, the, but <laughs> I finally fly together. We can't turn together. It is pretty. You can turn. <laughs> <laughs> it is not very believable that Amara would join a team led by someone who is in like a four-person team with Celine. That just makes no sense at all. That, that is, is a really true. good point. Does that she just true. not think that Hellions has the same like first word in it as Hellfire Club? Does she not like, she's like well, whatever, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Guys, we're running out of time. So Doug's death in New Mutants, good, yes or no, sad, yes or no, Jamie? Yeah, it was weird. Because he does that whole thing with the the reanimating his body, right? Yeah, and I was like brings bring it, up it back. That, that was such a ring prize. It was a huge it, moment, very so controversial freaky. when it's, it came out. Yeah, it's like honestly, for me, I'm gonna be like real. When I first read that, I was like, "This is interesting," but at the same time, just like not okay with me. I was like, "I don't think I understand why," and in some sad way, it made sense with the character. But like, I mean, I think that his death was poignant and i saw why it happened and like kind of reached the point where it's like there's nothing more to do here but at the same time the way it was dealt with was so weird and so clearly like trying to attempt to explain death to children that i was kind of like this just isn't for me i thought it was weird too anyone else everyone is just shaking their head out of weirdness i'm with you so with issue 87 rob liefeld has taken over as creator not quite yet writer but definitely artist it, it marks a huge creative shift and a huge tonal shift in the comic so right after that like i said cable's entrance we have some new characters coming in into play we have domino we have gideon and then the first appearance of deadpool and many many people do not know that deadpool actually premiered in new mutants it's you know they're actually i am not sure if they even are sure where he's from but he definitely did come from new mutants we've got the introduction of a bunch of new characters boom boom rust skids domino all the former exterminators so you know now that deadpool is this like huge movie star it's this huge movie he's you know quite a, a force in culture right now what was it like reading this as his first appearance genesis I actually thought that it was per- pretty coherent, as in I saw a lot of qualities from the movie that I saw in the comic. I remember the I don't remember his name, but he was fighting someone in the very beginning um, when he was introduced, and he the villain was like, "Oh, you talk too much," and that's exactly what Deadpool is. He's constantly talking. He's constantly talking about like what's on his mind. You know, he's like basically his own narrator. You know, so I definitely appreciated that and appreciated the fact that I saw that um, in the movie. And in the comic book. Cool. And New Mutants, you know, is lucky enough to have a hundredth issue and that be the last issue of the comic. Many comics, unfortunately, get canceled and they don't really resolve the storyline. Young X-Men being one of them off the top of my head. So, Genesis, I know you read up to issue 100. What were your thoughts on how the comic ended and the major team roster? I think now we have James Proudstar, who's no longer Thunderbird. He stepped out of his dead brother's shadow and he's Warpath now. We've got Feral, some other really interesting characters. What do you think about it and, and frankly how it compares to the beginning and the rest of the comic? I actually I was really happy with the ending because you saw this integration of the of the new mutants and that's an actual really real thing for a group of friends to go through. And so you see Sam Guthrie Guthrie? I can't Guthrie. say it. Guthrie. Samuel Guthrie. Sam and Guthrie. 
you know, being one of those characters that persists till the end. Persists till the end. Persists till the end. And I know Sam, Sam DaCosta is one of the last ones to to, to leave. R- Roberto, isn't it? Roberto DaCosta. R- yeah. Roberto DaCosta is one of the last ones also to leave. So I just think it was very real. And I appreciated the fact that they weren't all there still together because that's just not going to, that's not like believable to me. So I think I appreciated the fact. I did, however, feel like... I was kind of sad, you know, and I think that's what exact that's what the creators wanted to bring out from their readers. They wanted to bring out like a visceral emotion from the fact that this group has disintegrated and have, you know, followed their own paths. Do you think it was an appropriate ending to the comic? Did it fit? Did the end fit in to the beginning? I think so. I, I definitely feel like we saw most of the characters, if not all of the characters, um, develop in some sort of way. And I think that it just kind of sets up a platform for us to be like, what characters do we really appreciate and relate to? And therefore we follow their paths, you know? So I, I think it was appropriate. I don't know what everyone else thinks, but I thought it was, I thought it was very satisfying. Would you say bittersweet? Yes. No one, do you feel differently? I think that, um, Roberto da Costa's departure is specifically meant to recall Cyclops's down to the image. You know, there's like a famous cover that Cyclops leaving and yes. they repeat the exact same image with Roberto. And I think both are very kind of short-lived departures. So it kind of shows you how each one is just like basically a dramatic movement to like sell a comic by putting it on the cover. Though it being an issue 100, then the last issue is much more significant than it being just in like the last issue of a certain arc or volume of X-Men. So now is my absolute favorite part of the podcast, I have to say, where actually all those acting lessons kind of have use eventually, right? So we're going to talk about Susan Batson's truth. She's a wonderful, wonderful acting coach who uh, developed this new method based on Stanislavski and several other teachers. In her book, Truth, she discusses what makes a character three-dimensional in art, and she discusses the public persona need and the tragic flaw that a person has. So defining the public persona as how the character wants the world to see them uh the need is being something requisite for that character as an organism in order to survive that is the opposite of the public persona and the tragic flaw being the jam up of how the characters prevent themselves from getting their need i thought we should analyze some of the main characters so i know danny moonstar is a a favorite of ours how do you think danny moonstar wants the world to perceive her and what do you think her public persona is I think Danny has a lot in common with Cyclops as a team leader character. And so her public persona is like a responsible leader individual. And her inner self is someone who can't control their powers, whose powers are dangerous, and who worries that they'll hurt others with them. And the tragic flaw... I mean, whenever someone can't control their powers, you are invited to think that the tragic flaw is their power that they can't control but perhaps there's more of a personality flaw i'm not sure what it would be though i think maybe one of her flaws is that because she is perceived as a leader she has to know all the answers and so she's looked upon whenever there's a certain like dangerous circumstance for the answers and for some sort of tranquility within the group and she may or may not have that and i think that really feeds feeds into her flaw because she's she's not required to know that even though she is a leader do you think that she wants people to think that she has those answers yeah i definitely do i think she also finds a lot of relief in rain in her relationship with rain because they support each other throughout the the series so yeah 
Uh, Gabby, what do you think of the public persona? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I would agree. I think her public persona, she wants to be seen as a competent leader. But I also think she wants to be seen as, it's hard to put into words. I think that she wants to be seen as a member of a group, almost. Almost something like more basic as that. Like someone who is... Part of a family? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like part of a family, like not different like but like a part of a functioning whole and so her leadership is part of that and then i think her what what was the other one her personal her oh her her need her need like what is what does danny moonstar need as a human being i think she needs to be um and how is that the opposite and we can well yeah, yeah i think her need time. is to be accepted and to not be feared but her tragic flaw is that she fears herself like fundamentally you know is that i think that's exactly it yeah that's good what do you think genesis i agree cool let's talk about karma anyone have any thoughts on what karma's public persona is how does the world how does she want the world to perceive her i think she wants to be seen as an sort of an implacable like strong person who can enact their will without um hindrance like i think she wants to be seen as you know I think she goes like we, we see in how she deals with her past and the really, you know, intensely emotionally damaging things that have happened to her. Like she doesn't want to seem affected by it, even though she is. So I think she wants to seem as like a firm sort of not I wouldn't say unemotional, but certainly like in control, you know, self tough, tough and self self, you know, what is it? Self-possessed, self-possessed kind of person. But then. And then her need, I think, is probably, I don't know, I think she needs to be sort of relinquished. Like, she needs to have the past to, to be sort of taken away or something. Like, I don't know. And then, and then her flaw would be, like, her ignorance to her own past. and her or, or not ignorance, but, like, her inability to deal with it in a way that will make her be able to move forward, yeah, like, I, usefully. Totally. I think that's really smart. I think um, what you said about the public persona makes the storyline with the Shadow King even yeah. more fascinating because, you know, here you have someone who at all costs, you know, wants to be in control, wants yes. to seem this way. Someone who wants to seem completely unscathed by something, yet she endures this trauma that leaves her, you know, impossible. Vulnerable. Yeah, completely vulnerable to the point that she can't conceal it, you know, and, and, and can't control it. So I think and that might what... even be another like tragic flaw is that she's blind or unwilling to accept her own vulnerabilities. She's almost narrow minded. Yeah. And I mean that in the most positive way you can call someone narrow minded. You know, it, she just she takes that just a touch too far where it makes her. that. that yeah. She that has so much about. personal strength, but in not acknowledging her own vulnerabilities, she leaves herself open to attack. Right. What do you guys think? Don't remember the the special series the name of the special series but i remember it was, uh, it was just like um new mutants special edition one i think yeah i think it was where we go where the new mutants from the past or when they're younger like go into the future and they meet themselves oh that was early. yeah yeah and i think that's where you see shan in her inability to overcome her past like gabby was talking about because she she decides to change the the sequence of of like historical events or whatever because she feels that she can't let a, one of her members like die and so that inability to let someone go or to face the fact that maybe one of her you know friends will die like that i think that's one or that's part of her tragic flaw as well yeah 
I personally find Karma to be a very shallow character. I think that this is part of the reason the writers got rid of her less than 10 inch shoes into the series. And then when they brought her back, they pretty much overrode who she was before with this like massive new situation. They created a whole new villain who's a very good, compelling villain. To, like, he wasn't new. He was been, he's been around for a while. Yeah. What was he in before? The- Shadow King? Uh, X-Men. He possessed okay. Storm. Ah, uh, well, they 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 made this villain like the sum total of her personality for this whole time. Many more issues than the issues that she was actually in as an independent individual, you know. And so I don't know. I mean, I think that her th- her three dimensions would all have to do with the Shadow King from then on. When before that, in some similar ways to the problems with Danny Moonstar, though I do think she's the best character in the whole. Uh, series in some similar ways she's pretty much determined by her Vietnamese-ness you know the her karma karma karma. like her her corrupt uh, South Vietnamese general crime boss uncle literally controls her Uh, right before she disappears he like tells her what to do and she listens and like he himself is a stereotype of a collaborator with US imperialism and so like there's a lot of problems with her character I'm very happy that when they were toying with both of the two female leads as leaders, they settled on Danny over Karma and made Karma disappear. I don't disagree there. I think Danny is a much more interesting leader. But I, I, I do like what Karma goes on to do in the X Men, and I, I think she has, to me, she has my my favorite power out of all of those guys. Mm-hmm. So let's pick from this list who you guys would like to analyze next. Because we have so many of them, we should probably pick our favorite. So what about between Magma, Magic, Cannonball, and Wolfsbane, Rain Sinclair? Definitely Magic, right? Yeah. Cool. That's interesting because to me, I, I just want to say that to the people listening, I'm a huge Magma fan. So okay. um, I know. Oh, and Magma too. I we mean, can talk about Magma. No, we don't have to. I, I just wanted to give her a shout out because she's taking some heat here today. And, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag Magma's <laughs> taking some heat. Oh, oh shit. I hashtag I pun. That. Wait, yeah. is that a pun? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> hashtag leave Magma alone. Hashtag. I think we should skip and Cannonball if any one of them because yeah. Cannonball is Cannonball. pretty so straightforward. And everyone's read a lot of Cannonball. Everyone knows Cannonball. Cannonball. You know? But I don't know his tragic flaw. <laughs> he's, he's from a mining town. He was going to go to college, but then he couldn't. You know? <laughs> yeah, but he couldn't. He said it like Forrest Gump Nolan. <laughs> Life's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> well, you're going to go to college, but then you can't. Instead, you learn how to just go straight and can't turn. You might just got a mind stuff. like your daddy instead. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, Back to the mines, Guthrie. <laughs> <laughs> For like a week, and then you go to live in a mansion with a bunch of like highly talented individuals, <laughs> where all your lifestyle is paid for. <laughs> this is this is true. Okay, so I guess we're. It's safe to say that we're not going to analyze Cannonball right now. Although we love Sam, too. Shout sure. out to Sam as well. These are all great characters, you guys. Okay, let's do magic. Uh, what? Okay. <laughs> magic has lived like a supernaturally traumatic life most of her childhood. All right, but how does she want to be seen? Let's start there. How, what's her public persona? She wants to be normal. She wants to be seen as just a normal girl. As opposed to witch, you know, demon <laughs> child. <laughs> I'm just reminded of the point where, oh, gosh. The, uh, one of the characters is talking about how it must be difficult for Danny to adjust to living in the the mansion and like you know what a, I guess quote unquote American ideals when she's been living you know in communist Russia. <laughs> No a car drives no, Danny. you. No, Danny. They're talking about Danny, and then and then. But you're right because Ileana Ileana's like 
she's like, I know how that's like too. And then the little caption is like, she was raised in the abyss by demons. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, you see that and you're like, oh yeah, that was just, that must have been pretty dicey. (laughs) Sorry. That's awesome. But she learned some good magic for sure. Good, good magic. Mm -hmm. She did lose her childhood though, you know. Um, I think that's Thank you, Genesis, for bringing it back to, uh, yeah. (laughs) I think that's one of her, her like flaws, I guess, in the, and she was raised in a hell dimension. Right, exactly. Yeah. She that's traumatizing, man. Yeah. I I can only imagine. How'd you like glossing over that one, Gabby? <laughs> so what's her what's her flaw and her need then, you know? Well her flaw is like well, okay, but I think her need would be to be like like I don't know, it's it's linked to wanting to be seen as normal. It's to be seen as to just be le- like have people level with her on like a normal thing and like to have like, you know, relationships that are not with demons sorry but like in all seriousness like you know what i mean like human relationships where you are true like emotionally intimate in this but then uh, her flaw is that she has this ridiculous dark side that Mm -hmm. she's trying to deny and like you know you can take the girl out of the abyss but you can't take the abyss out of the girl well no it does it does work because she finds the things that concern the other teammates to be childish Mm -hmm. and and but that's because of her upbringing and and but she in order to be normal she must communicate with them about these things but she's not willing to you know cool i don't think we ever answered the question but shout out to magic so if you guys had to pick one power of uh one of the new mutants what would it be Definitely. Okay, I was going to say definitely empath, but no. You're asking to be the purple man. You, know? you want to be purple man? That's terrible. Yeah, purple man from Jessica Jones. <laughs> I know, actually. Let me let me think about that a little bit. I think that was a bit too personally yeah. revealing. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know how people feel. <laughs> so be psychic. Let me, okay, come back to but me. But not karma psychic. I would be like karma psychic because I would be like, I mean, I don't know. It would be the most useful if I had my own plans. I mean, Doug Ramsey is, is, is very, oh, yeah, that's true. I keep forgetting about him because he, you know, sucks. But yeah, no, I totally forgot about him. Okay. I don't know. I like, kind of like all their powers. I don't want to have a blast fail, but it would be mm-hmm. cool to be invulnerable. Sunspots thing. Sunspots you know, cool. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to throw any kind of discs. Mm-hmm. I don't, no, I don't want to. No, I don't want to poop any kind of discs either. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I forgot to mention something. I forgot to mention a really, mm-hmm. really important thing. I have to say that there's something I need to retract earlier, which is that the people on my panel would like you to know that although they had the faces of someone who looked like they had to fart, they did not actually have to fart. No. They just responded to my story. Justin, in your retraction is... We just didn't even know what to say is all. Your retraction was so null and void. Right. Because yeah. we did not even have the faces of people who are passing far. <laughs> we just were like... We had... Go ahead, Nolan. Go ahead. Speak your we mind. We just didn't know what to say to, in response to your question. That's all. You exactly. Look, you look busy like you're passing farts. You obviously don't understand our passing fart faces. And you know what? I'm going to... No. If you if I had to fart, you would hear me fart. Okay? It's as simple as that. If I had to fart, you would feel a hole in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I would stick with empath's powers, as creepy and horrible as that is. That's cool. We could, we could be like our own superhero team. We could be like magma. Sorry. No. We would be like um karma and empath, and we could like possess people and make them feel like how we want to feel. Yeah, that sounds really creepy, but does, I'm down. Right? right? We could just like because that's how that's the kind of person I am. No, me too. Me too. No lawn. Are we gonna do? Are we gonna do um, Rain's public persona of tragic flaw and need? That portion of the podcast is now over. Okay, hers are good, but okay. What about you, Genesis? I, I don't know. I just I think maybe a combination between Karma and Rain, just because like, I love the fact that she can turn into a wolf. You would you be know? a wolf that possesses people. Yeah. Dude.
demon yeah. wolf. You, know, you should write that. Like book. a demon wolf. Oh my god. Oh my god. Genesis, That'd be awesome. You, oh my god. You should be like demon bear too. And it copyright should be like demon wolf. <laughs> copyright demon wolf. If you're listening to this podcast or anything about writing about it's a demon late. wolf, it's too late. We had that idea. F you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just like I love those two characters and their relationship, and I just like you know I want their powers together in me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That sounds so romantic. <laughs> yeah, I know. He lives in cool. you. Nolan, did you go? I picked up Ramsey. Oh, sorry. I keep forgetting because he so doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Cool. So before we end, I want to ask each of you, do you guys recommend this comic? And if so, who would you recommend it to? And you know, before you get into that, tell us just simply if you liked it or not. Genesis. I would recommend it to anyone who wants to read fully fleshed out characters and characters that have actually relationships with one another not just as individuals but as a family and their struggles and yes i did enjoy it very much cool nolan lannister oh sorry (laughs) but you always repay your debts yeah wait can i say one more thing yes and as a person who's new to comics i would recommend it to people who are new to comics oh beautiful nolan uh, I will actually recommend this to someone, and I'll just—I guess I'll go ahead and describe the person to whom I'm going to recommend this. He's—he's um, he's a very serious nerd. He loves Deadpool, and so I think that he'll enjoy it in that respect. He is a maninist, and I would like him to read this and have it change his mind a little bit. So there are other things too that I want him to get out of this, but that's the main one. What's a maninist for those who a don't men's know? Like activist. A men's rights activist. A men's. Oh. Whoa. Yeah. Oh shit. Wait, wow. Wait, 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 wait. A men's rights activist? We cannot even get into this. We, we can't even put that podcast. in the podcast. We, we have to strike that from the we podcast. Can't I apologize. Tip, like this is the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> like you just you just dropped that in there. Yeah, yeah that's at true. the very end. That's I like didn't... dropping the you know <laughs> an atomic bomb in the kiddie pool. Let man. me say something else then. Okay, I agree with Nolan. <laughs> I would recommend this podcast to anyone who thinks that men are better than women. And also And also I would recommend this to, actually, you know, I would recommend this to anyone who wants to like, you know, see that we've got a long way to go in terms of diversity in comics and this is like something that was really ahead of its time. Absolutely. It was you know, you know, it's not perfect. I mean, obviously we needed a little bit more depth in how these characters interact with their ethnic and cultural identities. But like the fact that this was done in the 80s and like we are still fighting this battle now, it's like kind of crazy. And I think that like Justin was kind of pointing at at the beginning of the podcast, this, you know, New Mutants is really like doing the type of work that we should be like trying harder to do now. And so I and as to whether or not I enjoyed it, I really enjoyed it. I really cared about the characters. I thought their backstories were really compelling, and so I I really did care about what would happen to them and how would they they would fare in the you know the world of like you know of these adventures and dangers that they would face. So yeah, I would totally recommend it, and it's probably like maybe I'll you know pick this up for my brother. You know, cool. We could talk about it together. That'd be wonderful. He's a smart guy. And just to clarify, he does not believe that men are better than women. That is, uh, that's awesome. 
All right, cool. So I guess that brings this podcast to a close. I just want to say that I love New Mutants. I read it when I was growing up. I was so excited we did this podcast about it because I kind of fell in love with it all over again. I think the characters are really rich. There's some really fun moments. There's really great action. The art also really, really cool. Wonderful shadows. I wrote down Chiara Oscuro for the um, <laughs> for the Demon Bear saga, and I forgot to mention it. I'm sorry that we didn't get a chance to mention Rain's stuff but it is is really interesting but you're gonna have to figure that out for yourself and send us an email about it and when you read new mutants also we should have probably told you this before but there's a hell of a lot of spoilers in this so i hope that you've already read it before hearing this so yeah so thank you all so much for being here pick up new mutants volume one started by chris claremont and bob mcleod continued by rob liefeld louise simonson bill sinkowitz and many other awesome artists, writers, and creators. So again, thank you, Pamela, for being here. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. I don't have a special send-off for you because, oh, it's awesome. Kathy is editing some books over at Marvel. So check out Jax and all the Guardians of the Galaxy books to see um, stuff that she's working on. And yeah, it's going to be our first podcast without a special send-off. But I figured in honor of Kathy, we can honor her by not having a special send-off. Sure. Does that sound kind of sad? Should we rebuild the towers? Nah. Have a good night, y'all. Or day, if you're listening to this in the daytime. Or have a good trip wherever you're going while you listen to this on your Your journey of life. Yeah. Bye.